Welcome to episode 132 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Jules had a deep desire to be the best. She believed she was good enough to compete in a top competition. She practiced and practiced. Next, she had to scrape together the time and money to actually get to the auditions. Would she be let through to the next round or would she fail miserably? She waited all day in a long, long line just to check in. Her stomach was in knots. She tried to clear her head and practice, but it was cold out and she was tired. Finally, she's in the building and she's been assigned a number. She finds a quiet corner of the bustling building and tries to calm her nerves by softly singing to herself. Her turn on stage is coming up. She takes a few deep breaths and hugs her family who've been supporting her all along this journey. This could be her big break or the most embarrassing moment of her life. Her turn is next. She's waiting the wings and hears pieces of what's happening on stage. Wow, that person is really talented, she thinks to herself. Suddenly, she's not in her little town anymore goofing around with her friends. This is serious, and these other people are so talented. She walks on stage and faces the judges. That's when I tune in. I'm taking a few minutes out of my hectic day to check out old episodes of reality TV singing competitions. My wife asked why I was so drawn to these shows when I'm not usually interested in music. I love the idea of someone talented being discovered. I don't know everything Jules has experienced up until this moment, but I can guess. I know it wasn't easy and it required a lot of sacrifices. And I know she wouldn't have had this opportunity if she hadn't taken risks. That's how I want my own life to be. Discovered for my true talents because I am willing to put myself out there. Your challenge this week. You won't know how good you really are if you stay small and safe. Step out of your comfort zones, your true talent can be recognized. Figuratively or literally, put yourself on stage in front of the judges. Invest in your own great ending by surrounding yourself with people who root you on and believe in your dreams. Say yes to opportunities and no to doubters. Be like Jules. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest uses hypnosis and hypnotic communication to help his clients grow their businesses. He used the principles of rapport and modeling to track what top business performers do differently to build several six-figure businesses of his own. Rather than just hypnotize his clients to become more successful, he helps them de-hypnotize the personal blocks that are holding back their business success. He's the author of the best-selling book, Work Smart Business, Lessons Learned from Hypnotizing 250,000 People and Building a Million-Dollar Brand. He speaks to business people around the world on how they can put his work smart principles and strategies to use. He says, the process isn't magic, but the results can be magical. Please join me in welcoming Jason Lynette. Hey, so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Jason, thanks so much for joining us from your office in Northern Virginia. It's a thrill to have you here. Uh, as you know, this is a show about uh, building strong networks and leadership as the context for that. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? 
I'd say the biggest measurement of a leader is not that metaphor of all the students sitting at the feet of the master pointing up and saying, look how awesome that person is. It's instead, can those people who are then learning that information, uh, first of all, actually put it to use and get a result, but then even better, make it their own and let it become something that now supports that as a community. So not just that opportunity, again, to point and say they're great, but instead the integration and the the customization, the creativity that goes into that. And I'd say that that real turning point for me actually was much earlier in my professional journey than I originally expected it to be. You know, I had the idea that, okay, well, let me learn how to do the work that I do, and then eventually it might be something I can teach others. But from even the first month into it, there was this whole mindset of realizing I was thinking differently about the work than where most people were thinking. I was getting this this well-meaning advice that it's going to be slow your first year, that it's going to be difficult without referrals or testimonial sources. Maybe you should have gone into this a little bit slower. And just, I refused to buy into that premise. So instead, I did everything the opposite to get out there and network, to really build relationships, to really present value to my community. And as a result of that, I had a fully packed schedule in my local service-based business. So then it's the next month and I felt compelled to go back to this networking event and the tables had turned because now instead of saying it's going to be slow, they're asking, wait, how did you do that? And then a few months later being invited to actually speak to that group, people who had been doing the work in some respects longer than I had been alive at that point. But that whole mindset of, again, to recognize that the opportunities are out there and it's a matter of going after them and recognizing what are people looking for? How do I help to satisfy that need? And again, it all comes back to those relationships. Yeah. So leadership, it's interesting. I, I sense that a piece of this is that it's people start and take the action on their own, that they they adopt it, the, the mindset for themselves. And then you, that story you were telling, it's interesting because you were listening to the leaders, the people who knew I had a lot more experience, at least in the field that you're in. But then you thought, well... I can still go my own way. So, the, so you know, self-leadership, this idea of, you know, just finding your own path. Um, so what was the service-based business you had back then? So this is me as a hypnotist. So I worked with clients at that point, primarily one-to-one, working with people for changing habits and behaviors, helping to eradicate fears. And this is eventually what now morphed into the work that I'm doing nowadays, where Mm -hmm. I'm working with executives for issues like fear of public speaking, fear of failure, even at times fear of success. And then taking a similar message to the platform nowadays too, where I'm teaching an actual business group in terms of how to internalize goals, how to take those ideas, those mission statements that they're holding on to, and actually do something with that. But yeah, the early the early days of it was the one-to-one only of sitting with a lot of people putting in hundreds of, uh, if not thousands of hours early on of just doing the actual work of figuring out the process, what makes a person change, and how do we help them get out of their own way to make that stuff happen? So were you a go-get-em kind of kid? Does that story have <laughs> a thread to much earlier in life where you were like, my, I have my own drum. Thank you. I, I will beat it to own, my own path. <laughs> I maybe had the benefit of coming from a family where almost everybody was an entrepreneur. So my parents were wedding photographers. My grandfather owned a variety of different shops, whether they were the jewelry store, the furniture store, or the pawn shop. So the idea of metaphorically running off and joining the circus wasn't too far off. 
And admittedly, with a brief hobby of doing magic tricks as a teenager, that really might have been closer than the joke actually implies. Uh, that even at times, you know, here's the skill, but let me now put it out there. So at one point, working restaurants, doing close-up magic. And that's actually kind of what got me into the hypnosis because with magic, there's a secret to it. There's a method to it. But if I could really do magic, why would I have to carry around a pack of cards? If I could really make money appear at my fingertips, why do they have to be 1890s Morgan silver dollars? Uh, so there was a disconnect. And it was simply being at college and seeing someone do one of those stage hypnosis shows, which is not the route that I ended up eventually taking, but still seeing the entertainment version of it, there were no props. It was just that relationship with him and the volunteers and the audience and the opportunity that it was just communication making that happen. And just something about that really just grabbed my attention and just became this, uh, let's call it positive virus of an interest <laughs> that just continued to grow over the years until eventually realizing the part-time career in hypnosis was overtaking what was at time the full-time career and just making that transition and just not looking back. Yeah. So, so um, did you go to school with a different idea of what you would do in life? Absolutely. Yeah. The goal at one point was sort of back to that idea of knowing the secret behind things. I was a stage manager in professional theater. Mm. So I wasn't acting, directing, or designing. I was the wizard behind the curtain calling the cues and organizing scene changes and rehearsals and uh, doing a lot of very careful personality maintenance with extremely sensitive artists, <laughs> which there's the, there's the uh, psychological training inside of it. Uh, Absolutely. So yeah, that was the path that I was on at the time. And really just driving home that discovery that just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it the rest of your life. You know, burning I, out. <laughs> I've heard you talk a little bit about this origin of how you, you ended up on this path. And, and I, I really was struck by the idea that um, something so sort of inconsequential as, you know, little, you, you see a little theater show and it completely changes the course of your career and, and all the people you've helped because of that there must have been something inside of you looking for something coming, right? Like you may not have known what you were looking for, but you were very open in that moment to this possibility to have, to have adopted the idea and then made it your own. Yeah, I'd say the origin of it comes to just that initial spark, which uh, if we really had to draw out the timeline, perhaps really begin to incubate for the next six years mm. before really deciding let's do something with this. So that initial idea of, again, back to even the, the hobby of magic as a teenager, of how do we create something that isn't there yet? How do we create a possibility that it really hasn't yet refined? The same as back to the theater job. The initial draw to that was, here's words that are just written on a page. And then the rehearsal process would start with the actors sitting around, reading the words line by line, analyzing it. And you could see 100 productions of the same play. And, you know, assuming it's not just like a national tour that they're just sort of remounting, you could see a hundred different interpretations of the same text. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an actor that really struck me at one point that uh, he is in his, uh, was in his seventies at the time I last was around him. And by the time we worked together, he goes, he, I had worked every, uh, every role in Hamlet. <laughs> and he goes from being a young actor in his teens and twenties, he goes, yes, I was Hamlet. Yes, I was the other characters. And then eventually now you know, kind of seeing the ins and outs of all the characters. But it's, again, about getting into that interpretation of that story as to what's that message we're driving home. And that's what I really saw from the hypnosis, that, yes, one aspect of it was 
the people on stage doing a comedy show, but still at the core of it, what was the change process they were creating? Well, the program that I saw first was actually what they call the welcome week of my college. So Hmm. this was the ultimate icebreaker for everybody to get to know each other. That's the purpose of that. The same wow. as here's yeah. the person who's even, even though I don't work the comedy club, that's not really what I do. Uh, even the person doing that, they're providing that night out for the couple, for the person who just wants to go out and be entertained. There's always yeah. a story underneath it. So this is so interesting. And, and this, the story led you down this really interesting career path, but you said you, you made a shift. You made a shift from one-on-one um, clients and this is a shift that a lot of people uh, that are listening probably are in because a lot of people I work with are going from that sort of, you know, full roster of clients, all their time is booked one-on-one, they're doing really well, and then they're trying to figure out, well, how do we go to the next stage, next level, whatever that looks like? And especially when you're that busy, um, did you have a, like, straight line from where you were to where you wanted to be? Or were there some, like, bumps and challenges along the way when you were trying to move your business from like you said, like that one-on-one client list to speaking and large groups and and all the the practice you're doing now. Yeah, the big change came about from branching out into education. So kind of back to that business moment of here was a way of looking at the work differently that other people weren't quite noticing. Though at the same time, a recognition that here's a profession that with hypnosis is all based on private organizations and trainings. We broke off as our own separate and distinct profession about maybe 60, 70 years ago as part of our history of that. And of all things, the fun anecdote is to mention that the word hypnosis only really dates back to the 1870s. That word attached to this process is kind of young. And yet suddenly here's a, here's a community that's going, well, this is the way we've always done it which you're not old enough of a community to say this is the way that we've always done it. So that's really what fueled the passion of teaching. So to now be in front of a group of, let's say, a dozen or two or three dozen people that are here traveling in to learn how to do the work. And also just kind of workshopping that muscle of speaking to groups. I was hosting my own local meetup event. Mm. And from that, it was a great group of people. Many of them are still friends. Uh, Yet I was looking out every month and going, huh, same people. And there's a line that goes back to vaudeville theater that really uh, sticks with me, which is that the amateur changes their act, the professional changes their audience. So as much as we can talk about having a niche, sometimes there's even inside of that, that micro niche of what is that smaller, smaller group. So yes, I spend time with people who are looking at hypnosis as they want to come in for a change process. They want to use some of the hypnotic language patterns to better influence their their staff. Yet at the same time, there's other aspects of it of, I spend a lot of my time with people already in the community. So not necessarily indoctrinating new people into it, though that is a portion of what I do, So this is what launched what eventually became the Work Smart Hypnosis podcast, where now I was speaking directly to my community broadcasting. Nowadays, it's been downloaded, a very small community. So to say more than 350,000 downloads for that small of a community, it's pretty good over the years. We just Mm -hmm. had episode 200 a couple of weeks ago. And that opportunity that, again, now taking that message to a much larger audience, that the whole catalyst came from that moment looking out, and yes, they were friends, and many of them still are, but recognizing that the world has become a lot smaller and that opportunity to connect with others. 
I love this line you said earlier, the, the vaudeville line, like, uh, what, what was it? So amateurs. Yeah. The amateur change changes their act. their act. The professional changes their audience, audience, which there's a small edit to that, which is that we're always going to customize to the group that's in front of us. We're always going to be, you know, focus as to the needs of the individuals that are specifically one hiring us <laughs> and mm-hmm. two that audience we're speaking to. But the origin of that was that here were, this kind of came from some of the community of magicians where here's a guy who did one eight-minute act, and that's all he did. Yet it was world-class, as opposed to here's a new thing to learn, here's a new thing to learn, here's a new thing to learn. To recognize that even in our businesses, we try to be everything to everybody, as opposed to here are the few things that I do exceptionally well, let me focus on that and begin to scale. Otherwise, it's what you mentioned earlier, our only option is to add more hours. So I wonder how, as you've been working with people and you've been helping them think about uh, using the hypnosis and, and the, the language of hypnotic communication to help them with their own teams, have you been able to then better talk to yourself in that same way as you face these different challenges? Like, oh, are you learning that. as much as you're like teaching? Absolutely. And I, I refer to it as sometimes you have to plagiarize from the best. Uh, <laughs> the moment where a random story from years ago is a personal change, uh, working, she was a high school principal who would walk by all the different candy jars at the school and just feel the need to snack on them. And we worked on the mindset of that. You don't have to completely eradicate that behavior, but maybe, you know, go for, go for quality rather than quantity. And she's the one in the office a few weeks later going, I'm asking about what about the M&Ms at work? And she's going, Oh no. That's peasant chocolate. I don't eat that anymore. (laughs) And that then entered into our household ever since. So yeah, looking at what people are able to do within their businesses. And this is where that divide often comes in, that we can look at hypnosis. And many in your audience can go, well, I've never actually done that. That's that thing where people's, their eyes are closed. They look as if they're asleep. We can look at hypnosis as being a formal process, follow these steps, enter into a hypnotic state. But recognize that it's all based on just effective communication. You know, it's based on that idea of how do we actually communicate the result that we want. So our language patterns can become conversational hypnosis. So here's moments where the person is in the office and we're working on that issue of public speaking. And someone years ago, and and this hadn't yet clicked yet, up until that point, I've been kind of trained in a problem-centered mindset of what's your issue and how are we going to fix that? And what he said instead was, he goes, well, I came to you because, yes, I've seen you speak. I've seen you comfortable on stage. But I know inside of this hypnotic work, there's specific language patterns for more ethical influence. There's ways of pacing my audience that I'm going to have that result in place before I ask for the sale. And he goes, if I go into that environment with a few secret weapons, I know I'm going to feel confident anyway. And I heard wow. that and went, yes, that's exactly what we're going to do today. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's so wonderful when your audience uh, and your clients tell you the, what they see in you, even yeah. before you're able to fully name it, before you've packaged it and made it, you know, here is this other way I, I work. They see the potential and sort of named it for you. I was always, you know, reading about your stuff and listening to you on some shows. I was curious, like, when did that like light bulb moment happen that you weren't just like, I don't want to say just like every other hypnotist, but like that you had a very different approach that you were going to take and apply it in a business sense. And yet you're still taking everything, you, all your training, all your years experience, all those thousands of hours and applying it in this different context. 
but packaging in a way that, I mean, you have a unique selling proposition that a lot of people, you know, they're striving to differentiate themselves. I mean, you, if you just said, I'm a communication strategist or I'm a communications professional. Oh, another one. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, people would be like, oh, great, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's really interesting. I want to know, though, uh, what, Jason, is, what do you find most rewarding about the work that you're doing today? The most rewarding thing is the fact that, especially if we're starting, the, the, the conversation begins with a problem. They're calling up because here's what our company is facing. Here's that thing I know I want to create in my business, and here's the block that I'm having. So that's always that initial spark of the actual communication, which, of course, now the process moves towards how do we start to resolve that? How do we find the strengths that are really there and now pull these into those parts of life that now need that benefit? The thing that fascinates me, the thing that really keeps me going at this is what's often referred to as generative change, that whole continuation of the story. It's not just to the personal moment. It's not just the guy who's thrown out the cigarettes and now he's done with that. It's here's all the things he's doing better as a result of making this change, which kind of eradicates that old idea that, well, what if I backslide? What if I'm stressed and I slip back? No, that identity has really shifted along the way. Here's that person that you know is kind of stuck in something on their business. And uh, years ago, here was this sort of kitchen installation company person I was working with that had it stuck in his head that if he earned a certain income beyond a certain figure, that meant he was greedy. And as soon as that was shifting for him, that it was okay to be wildly successful because as he was wildly successful, he was better able to handle his staff. He was better able to hire more people. He was better able to improve the lives of you know, the kitchen, of people's homes. So because of that, this now empowered him to move further beyond and now listen to his clientele. They're going, well, what about this part of our room? And then expand the services beyond that. So when you look at the entire arc of this guy's story, it wasn't just I felt a block earning this income and now I'm earning this income. Mm -hmm. It's the, and now I can do this and now I can do that. And now I can do that. That's that part that I just never get tired of. There's so much that I really resonate with um, as I work with my clients, this, this idea of, you know, I work with clients that initially have goals. And then after 90 days, I ask them to reset their goals because now their vision of what's possible has expanded so tremendously that their original goals were so small and safe and you know restrained and then their new goals their new vision is just more expansive and more possible and one of the questions i ask a lot of times when i'm in these moments with these clients that you can tell they're smart they're savvy and they know how to do this work but they're not doing it and mm -hmm. they've gotten advice from everybody and i always say what's stopping you from sharing your brilliance with the world and whatever it is, that's got to be dealt with. And it sounds like you kind of help people get to the crux of that in a, in a different way, but in a way that helps heal whatever that is. And then that ripple effect, like you said, that generative um, just imagining of what's possible is it sort of unfolds. And then do you ever get a chance to actually check back with clients? I and mean, you've been at this for a while. Yeah, I do quite free. Actually, today. where are they now? <laughs> Well, today was a cool day for the example that I had. I was in the office today working with individual clients. And today was a day where uh, the three appointments that I had, uh, I max out my schedule at three because seeing individual clients is not the only thing that I do here. Yet all three were coming in by referral. 
So here's the first one. It's like, oh yeah, I came in from this one. Well, great. How are they doing? And that was every opportunity to then call up that person immediately and say, hey, uh, you could at least say hello yourself, but it was still nice to meet and mentioning the other person's name, which again, getting that ongoing story as to what they've actually achieved. Um, I'd kind of turn the tables, maybe switch headsets here for a second, which would be a question to you that, you know, what about that moment, even in your own business where you had a goal and then you get it? Because I think that's an interesting moment that we focus on what we're going to do when we're going to create it, and eventually we hit the goal. But that opens up a whole other conversation around what do you now do with it? Yeah. Well, I will actually tell you, Jason, and, and people who are listening to the show know that I, I hit a lot of goals for my business and then got into this idea of an entirely new podcast mm. that was going to be a second show with a whole new business plan and completely separate track. And it was about parents who invented a product to solve a problem they experienced as parents. So something I felt very passionate about, there was definitely a market for it. But the advice I finally got that clicked was that if you're constantly climbing 10 you know, rungs on a ladder, up a 20-rung ladder to dive off, but you always get to the 10th rung and go, well, I don't know, I don't know, it looks kind of <laughs> high up. What do, I, what do I belly flop when I get there? Oh, hey, those people on this other new ladder next to me look like they're having fun. You like slowly climb down and start on another journey. You never, you never get to the best of yourself. Yeah. The, so the I shiny had object to, syndrome. I had to really <laughs> start to say no. And, you know, at first it's so hard, but once you say no, it, it, it really opens up room in your life. Well, it's so, one of those biggest yeah. things that I mean, early on in the surface-based business, it was the, what time do you want to come in? And this was before I had children, so the hours were a little all over the place. My wife was commuting a job back and forth to D.C., so our schedules kind of matched up. But I'd say easily the time frame where I really set myself to a really strict schedule, that these are the hours that I'm actually devoting to the live services. These are the times where, which I shut that down when I'm teaching a class. I shut that down when I'm traveling to go speak somewhere. And you know, that's that time where now someone calls and says, well, I need to do like a 10.30 great, I have a 10 a.m. available. But as soon as I set those rules, and sometimes there is that moment, I shared to the the idea of when we hit that success point, there is that moment to, yes, stop and celebrate it. Yes, be extremely happy with it. I I playfully, if you watch enough videos of me online, there's enough of me playfully making fun of the pat yourself on the back moment. Yet there's some real sincerity behind that because I meet too many people who think it's bad to celebrate their success, to be really happy with something that just happened. Have that moment, and I, I'm amused by negative language used in a positive way. Um, if it works for you, it's all right. <laughs> so I guy one time in the office, he goes, I think I need to become positively addicted to my business within the appropriate hours. I'm like, I love the modifying language. <laughs> uh, wow. But when you go home, he goes, oh, I'm going to shut that stuff down. I go, that's exactly what I do. That's the key to happiness. But to look at you know that moment to celebrate, but then to have that little polite, respectful, cynical moment to go, I could have set that goal higher. Mm-hmm. I could have done it better this way, which to take that moment uh, years ago, a friend of mine who's up in Canada, actually I'll say his name, Richard Cole. Uh, it was from him that I heard the advice that if, you're, if you've done a presentation, when you're driving home about the worst thing you could do is just listen to the radio. Instead, take that opportunity to think through what you did. If you had recorded it, listen to it, watch yourself. Uh, Anyone who's done enough recording of themselves, we start to weed out those extra things that we say that no one actually needs to hear. Uh, (laughs) We catch those little verbal tics of ours that we just go, I don't need to say that anymore. 
that opportunity to become positively critical of ourselves and say, how do I, I come back to video games often, how do I level this up in such a way that I can do it better the next go round? So I want to switch gears a tiny bit and talk more about the people in your life because it's clear that you are doing incredibly well with a referral-based business. That, that, you know, you early on, you talked about how you went out, you, you built relationships, you added value, you formed a community. And now all these years later, there's all the people you've worked with and spoken in front of and the conferences you've attended and the colleagues you've met. So how do you nurture not the closest circle of, of friends and colleagues, but that sort of second and third layers out, the people that you don't have direct business with right now, mm-hmm. but maybe you work with them a long time ago. Um, they're just a colleague that you admire. They're a, a mentor or mentee that you don't see very often. Do you have any habits or practices or philosophies around nurturing and sustaining that part of your network? It goes back to, I've heard some people talk about their business of, hey, I'm going to go speak to this group. What can I sell these people? And from early on, it was instead, what can I give them? What experience can I share? And especially within my smaller community in terms of the actual hypnosis side of things, this is where the application of having that podcast really served a benefit that it became an opportunity to highlight people I thought were doing good work. That rather than just uh, have that private conversation and saying, hey, what are you working on these days? Going, hey, let's have you on the program. So that opportunity that if we're driving, let's talk about this in a business context of content marketing, if we're putting out there the conversations that we genuinely want to have, rather than who's going to get the most downloads, who's got a new product they're trying to pitch, instead, really having that conversation. And sometimes these are conversations that are just two of us talking, reaching out, having that touch point. But rather than everything being led by a business opportunity, hey, let's work on something. Hey, you promote my book and next month I'll promote your thing. Just this opportunity to be, let's call it out, to be human. Mm -hmm. Really engage in conversation, talk about what else is going on. Uh, The ways that even as we're working with a personal client at times, business client, Yes, we're there focused on business, but we kind of end up working on everything else they're going through. It's that correlation of kind of where you are in one part of your life kind of is a reflection of everything else. So you indirectly end up kind of addressing everything in that context of it. Yes, particularly when you work with entrepreneurs, it's hard for them sometimes to separate (laughs) out. The work work life is uh, integration more than balance, I think. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's, it's helpful when other people recognize that for them. So do you have uh, anything that reminds you to reach out to people? Like, um, do you have a, a list of people that you know you want to contact or uh, some sort of tickler file so that you think you think of someone in the right moment? When I tried to, as much as I'm a systems person, I, I'm, I enter every task by asking, how do I do this once? And as much as I'm systematic in the approach of it, it really came down to, again, this where's where a little bit more random of a connection served a better purpose for me. And really just this is where having a life outside of my business, I think, is the really biggest thing that made this easy for me, that here's an article that I read and it becomes, here's this person who I know would benefit from seeing this. Hey, here's a copy of it. Here's a book that I read and I'm going, this is something that I think this person could really benefit from. And using that as the connection. So not only just, you know, yes, at times, hey, here's this article that I got uh, published. Hey, here's a cool podcast that I was just on. Check me out. Check me out. Instead of just doing that, instead, just keeping an eye out for things. And I, I love 
that sort of cross-pollination uh, effect of things that years ago to rehab a bad back, I got into strength training. And of all things I'm reading now, and at five foot four, 130 pounds, everything was written for a man five foot 10, 180. And so I'm having to deep dive a little further to figure out how to safely do weightlifting and learn how to do it. And all of a sudden, here's like these articles that were written about strength training. I'm going, this is like, you know, how to fix your life. He is not writing about form and put your weight in your heels, not your toes. There is something deep inside of this. So that opportunity to say, I know this isn't, you know, the thing that you're interested in yet. However, read this because here's what I pulled from it. Mm. So that, that is- opportunity to kind of cross-pollinate communities and draw draw people together in such a way where normally they wouldn't they wouldn't align. It's interesting. It's sort of a combination of having curiosity, but also um, I guess a, uh, a a willingness or a desire or passion to share. Mm-hmm. You know, some people just consume information, but they don't necessarily share information. So I think that um, you know the Maven knows a lot of information, and they're and people come to them because they know things. So you're really good at sort of synthesizing and then keeping the ear out for you know who okay who would who would be interested in this? I work with people who actually are afraid to do that at first because they're bothering people. It's like the the, the that's the messaging that's going on in their head. You know, I'm bothering them. Um, was there a moment in your life where you thought that and you don't think that anymore? Or were you always sort of open to the idea that people would be, I guess, wanting to hear from you, that you were able to reach out? I think the best way to address that is a little bit more of a formal application, let's say in email marketing, that, you know, yes, if you're doing a broadcast of a message to, let's say, 5,000 people, and suddenly, not that I've had this moment happen, but if suddenly half of your audience opts out, you did something wrong. <laughs> there is something in that message that you just completely alienated your audience and don't do that again. Thankfully, that's never happened for me. But if there's the moment where you know there's always going to be people who kind of bow out of that conversation, I think this is really something that drilled into me back when I was really just working, seeing clients, and that was it. That, that opportunity that I discovered that it wasn't just a yes or a no. If I filtered people as a ready or a not yet ready, because here's the person who called me up and they're going, hey, I want to come see you. It's like, have we talked before? This is before I built out a full database system to really track everything. It's like, oh yeah, I've been reading everything you've sent for five years. This is what's different now. So that opportunity to really continue that story the whole way through and that discovery that if someone in a formal, let's say, email marketing thing clicked the unsubscribe opt-out button, what they were really doing was saying, this is something I'm no longer interested in. It didn't mean they hated me. It didn't mean they disliked me. The same as spending time around actors back in the theater job. The director would uh, you know, go in sometimes, and they had a bit of an idea what they were looking for. So just because the actor didn't get the role didn't mean they weren't a good actor, it meant they weren't quite a fit. Uh, I'm flashing to one random story, though, of it's a callback for a, for a specific role in a play. And sometimes you end up in a room where it's like, wow, 15 guys who all look the same. Well, we know what they're looking for. And suddenly this was a director with like 15 very look, different looking people, different acting styles, and just being able to say, they don't know what they're looking for. Let's see where this goes. Yeah. So, to bring it back to, again, how do we listen to the audience? And that, that opt-out is not necessarily a negative thing. Sometimes it's just not the right time, which especially 
in 2019, they're not always reading your information in a place where they're able to make a buying decision, which is the most polite way I can say they're on their phone on the toilet. So they're not <laughs> always in a position where they can make that decision. And sometimes we need to have that respectful reminder to go, yes, that is something I'm looking for. And those people will continue that dialogue who want it. Those who don't want it will find the way out. So if you were to apply this more to a one-on-one setting, is there anything you would change about what you just said? Or do you think it all still fits? This idea of you know, you reaching out to a past client or you reaching out to someone you saw at a conference a year ago um, you know, before the conference is coming up again or those kinds of sort of one-off connections. Yeah, and that's something that I do a little bit more random. Uh, the only place where I'd ever see pushback is if I'm doing that for a specific offer. Hey, I saw you at this convention last year. I'm at the convention this year selling this class. Mm. And instead, lead with the value. And there's something to be said about the popular line of, she's just not that into you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if someone doesn't respond to that initial thing, whether it's a phone call, an email, or some sort of even Facebook messenger nowadays, you know, if they don't respond, take that yeah. as a message. No yeah. response is a response. That's awesome. So uh, one of my favorite questions, Jason, and this is getting to the end of the uh, interview, is if we're connecting a year from now, and I look forward to this happening, and we're celebrating all of your successes for the past year, I want to know, what are we going to be talking about? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? I look at the opportunity, again, back to that changing the audience mindset, that even in terms of the work that I do, compartmentalizing it down to what are my strategies, what are my principles, and how do I basically, like a, like a handyman, use the same tools time and time again and get really, really skilled at those tools. But the more we use those tools, the better we get at them. So the conversation a year from now is, what audience are you now sharing that with? What community are you now sharing these principles with? And that's that opportunity to, again, increase that reach and really spread that message. Well, and you're doing that with a new book too, which is out as of the time that you and I are talking. It just came out, already hit bestseller. That's fantastic. Congratulations on that. So I'm, I, I'm sure that part of this next year is going to be watching that grow on the charts and the influence and impact that it has on the people in your network, people who have not yet met you, who will read that and hopefully gain some insight into how to apply these principles to their own work, or their, own, their own life. Um, so it's really exciting for you to have a new medium like that. Yeah, absolutely. Again, that opportunity to take a message and broadcast it to a different community and the ways that, again, that that sort of cross-pollination effect of people going, you know, I know this was a business book, yet here's a personal thing that I was kind of stuck on and already getting the feedback of, I used the same thinking to address that, which really is what crafted the message in the first place. Um, admittedly, part of my uh, communities and wellness professions, I would speak to hypnotists about business, I'd speak to massage therapists about business. Uh, there was this kind of savior syndrome thing going on that, no, we're helping people. We can't run a base business around it. It's wrong to charge when, yeah, but the world is an expensive place and you got bills to pay. And there's something that different about the process as soon as that exchange of energy of money is happening as part of that dialogue. And realizing inside of it, as soon as I went to a marketing convention for the first time about seven, eight years ago, it's like, wow, they're all having the same conversations. They're just not having to apologize for it. Yeah. Hang out with these people. (laughs) So, so Jason, how can people find you and follow your work? 
I'd share a little bit of a freebie, a little bit of an offer for your audience out there uh, on the Work Smart Business website, which is the website about the book. Uh, I've got the Positive Influence Power Pack, which is actually a free opportunity to get two specific influence strategies. One you can use on yourself. The other, I always put into the category of ethical influence, use your powers for good. You can get that for free over at worksmartbusiness.com. And then to track me down, I'm online at jasonlinette.com, which I'll spell the last name because people try to add extra letters. It's only six letters, L-I-N. E-T-T. So jasonlinette.com, though, to be fair, you can actually type it about seven or eight, or eight ways incorrectly and still find me. <laughs> but I'm also on all the platforms, social media, Instagram, Twitter, and so forth as Jason Lynette as well. Look forward to hearing from you. Jason, we will have all those links in our show notes. Thank you so much for that freebie. I love when people share things to the audience. They can dive in a little, a little bit more about what they learn. I'm sure you you uh, sparked some curiosity for the listeners. Um, thank you for, for joining us today. It's been a really fantastic conversation. Absolutely. This has been great. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jason. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 132. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode with Jason, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.